0: I hope you've all had a wonderful Thanksgiving, as I said earlier. Please take your Bibles and open to Romans chapter 15. This is the first Sunday of Advent. And so for some of you that come from different uh, denominational traditions, this might be more common for you. Um, But for those that might be new or visiting, I'd like to explain what Advent is as we celebrate Advent together. The word Advent means coming. It means coming. It, It carries this idea of longing expecting, waiting, and hoping. Now, Advent for the Christian, it is both a remembrance of what has happened in the past and an expectation of what will happen in the future. So we do two things at Advent. We remember what has happened in the past with Christ Jesus, and we look forward to the future when Jesus comes again. So Advent symbolizes our present situation as God's people. Right now, all of God's people everywhere in the world, together, we are waiting for Christ's return. We are waiting on the second advent, just like in the Old Testament, the Jews waited for a deliverer in Egypt for 400 years. They waited on God to send a deliverer. And then they waited 40 years in the wilderness before they went into the promised land. And then they waited, returned from exile, when God drove them into Babylon for 70 years. And then they waited 400 years during silence between Malachi and the coming of Jesus. So, we have waited, just like Old Testament Israel waited on the Messiah that was promised all the way back in Genesis 3. We look back... Remembering Christ's first coming, and at the same time, we join with all people, all of God's people, now who are awaiting Christ's return and kingdom. The second thing I want to remind you about Advent—that's the meaning of Advent—but there's also this idea of the wonder of Advent. So I've used this illustration the last few years, but Advent should have this way, this way in us of awakening our senses, and our minds to the beauty and glory of God. So just like, you know, like coming home late at night from the grocery store with both arms full of grocery bags, you're tired, you're dragging your kids behind you, all you can think about is sleep, and then you look up, and you see a clear sky, a glowing moon, you see all the light shining in the firmament and all of a sudden you forget about all the busyness that's going on around you and you stop and in a moment that night sky pulls you out and reminds you of the glory of God all around us. And that's what Advent should do in our lives. It should It intentionally forces us to slow down, to take a breath, to refocus our attention in a busy season. I think it's interesting that In a time when God wants to slow us down, the enemy and the culture all around us wants us to be so busy that we don't pause and reflect on the meaning of this season. So Advent is meant to make us slow down and take it one day at a time. One piece at a time. So we should be drawn away from the hustle and bustle, pause, take a deep breath, look at the glory of God around us and be amazed at the wonder and mystery of our faith. So Advent is a time for us to think and focus on the eternal longings of our heart so that they can be satisfied in Jesus. As C.S. Lewis said, If we find in ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. So in Advent, you need to pause and think about these longings of your heart and remember that they're not going to find any satisfaction in this life, in this world. And then I want to remind us of the importance of habits. We celebrate Advent so that we can develop habits in our lives. So that we can intentionally focus our habits on Christ. Life is liturgy, as I've said every Advent for the last five years. Life is liturgy. And that means that our lives are more than our habits, but never less than our habits. We all live with rituals, We all live with routines, with habits and traditions. And habits and traditions are how we display and live out what is most important to us. Just think about life in general. We solemnize everything we care about with liturgy. From baby dedications, to baptisms, to graduation, to marriage, to funerals, to even retirement celebrations... All ceremonies and liturgies help us ceremonialize and consecrate what's important. And so, for the Christian, for us, it is the liturgies of our lives that demonstrate the reality of our beliefs to a watching world. The only way you can show the world around you Jesus matters is by making Jesus the habit of your lives. They see our habits and our rituals. They quite literally bring our ideas to life and show them to our children, our neighbors, and to the world. And all of us should remember, what we remember about the holidays growing up are the habits and rituals that we participated in. That's what we remember. We remember sitting around Grandma's table. We remember the turkey. We remember lighting the candles. We remember singing carols to our neighbors. We remember the things that are liturgy that bring our beliefs to life. So just think back right now, all of you in here. Have a sentimental moment. And that moment is remembering the liturgy of your life. Think about your happiest moments. That's what Advent is meant to do slow us down and put those habits into place for our own children, for our own grandchildren. Now, this Advent season, we're going to focus on the theme of hope for the holidays. Hope for the holidays. My main goal is to guide us through several ways that God's word brings us hope and how that hope serves a purpose. That hope should strengthen us and steel us against the wishy-washy waves of our feelings, our constant battles with sin, we have them, our struggles with sickness and disease, and the soul-squeezing pressures of our surrounding culture. Advent is all about the hope that Jesus brings. If you did not know this, Jesus is the hope of the entire Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. So for the next four weeks, here's my outline. Today, we're going to look at the hope of Advent from Romans 15. Next week, we're going to look at the hope of forgiveness Then we're going to look at the hope of home. I'm really looking forward to that one. And then finally, the hope of all things being made new. And so that's our outline for Advent. So this morning, turn to Romans chapter 15. And we're going to read verses 8 through through 13. And so my heading in my Bible says, Christ, the hope of Jews and Gentiles. Listen to what Paul says here at the end of Romans. He says, for I tell you that Christ... May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. I want to give you three points this morning. You listen quickly, and I will preach quickly. It's a good place for it. Amen. All right. So here's the first thing I want to see this morning as we look at the hope of Advent. First, notice the patience of hope. The patience of hope. Look there at verses 8 and 9. He says, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised in order to show God's truthfulness... In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Now, what Paul does here is he summarizes all of biblical history. He places two things side by side that summarize all of the Old Testament. First, Paul says that Christ became a servant to the Jews. That's the circumcised. Paul became a servant to the Jews... To show God's truthfulness by keeping the promises that he had made to the patriarchs. That's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the patriarchs of of Israel. So So Paul says that Christ did that to show God's truthfulness. Second, Paul says that the Gentiles or the nations, some translations say nations, that's what Gentiles means, the nations that are not Jewish, that they would glorify God For his mercy. Paul's point is that through Christ, all of this comes together. Through Christ, God has kept his promises to the Jews, and God has extended his mercy to the Gentiles. Now, this this was God's purpose throughout all of history, going all the way back to his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12 through 17. When God called Abraham and said, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Through you, Abraham, the Jews, your descendants, the Jews, I'm going to bless all of the nation. So God promises to is, so God, God's promises to Israel are kept and fulfilled by Jesus, and God's mercy is released to the Gentiles through Jesus. So Jesus served both groups, the Jews and the Gentiles Now, this is one of the great promises of Advent. That Jesus was born as a Jew from the line of David. A descendant of Abraham. To prove God's truthfulness. To keep the promises God had made to the Jews. And the extension of God's mercy to the Gentiles. But here's my point. Both groups had to patiently wait on God's purposes to be fulfilled. The Messiah didn't show up in Genesis 3. They had to wait hundreds of years for this hope that was coming to them. The Gentiles weren't included in the blessings given to Israel at that moment. They had to wait for the one through whom it would come. It didn't happen in a day, but across thousands of years. So, hope is what empowered their patience and waiting. And here's the principle. You can write this down. Hope is learned by patience and waiting. We don't like that. We don't like that. Hope is learned by patience and waiting. Hear, hear me. Life is filled with waiting. Life is filled with waiting, whether it's the farmer who plants. Waters, patiently watching his crops grow, waiting again for the harvest, waiting and watching for rain, praying and watching for the rain to stop. And all of that patience and waiting must come before there is enjoyment of the crop. You don't just get the crop, no, you have to patiently wait For that to come to fruition. For the rest of us, we're all waiting for something. The children and students here, they're waiting to grow up. Don't rush that. We're waiting to grow up. Some of us are waiting to finish middle school. Waiting on a driver's license. Others, waiting to be married. Waiting for children. Some of us, waiting for grandchildren. Waiting on a visit from a loved one. Waiting on a wayward child to come home. Waiting for healing from a disease. Waiting for a relationship to be mended. Waiting on someone to be reconciled. Some of you are waiting on forgiveness. Others, waiting on a battle with addiction to finally end. Waiting. Some of you waiting on the sermon to be over. (laughs) Waiting. Life is waiting. Some of us waiting to go home. Advent reminds us that we too are still waiting. We're waiting on the fulfillment of God's promises. We're even waiting in suffering. And waiting in patience does something in us. It awakens hope. Listen to what Paul said earlier in Romans 5, one of my favorite chapters. Listen to what he says. He says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But listen to this. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces patience and patience produces character and character produces hope and that hope does not put us to shame because god's love has been poured out through through the holy spirit into our hearts who's been given uh, sorry because god's love has been poured into our hearts through the holy spirit who's been given to us so god intends for us to learn hope by our patience and our waiting this goes against everything in our fix-it-now, have-it-your-way, instant gratification culture. Advent reminds us, too, that we must learn to wait. Now, I want to read you, I've been reading this Advent season, a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's not really a book, it's a collection of his letters um, while he, that he wrote while he was in prison for, he, for him being a part of the operation to have Adolf Hitler assassinated in Germany. So he wrote letters in prison to his family and to his church members and also to his fiance. He was never able to be married because he was executed two weeks before Hitler finally committed suicide. He was part of the last, the final solution to kill all the dissidents and Bonhoeffer was one of them. And so I want you to listen to, and the book by the way is called God is in the Manger. Just think about that sentence. God is in the manger. Listen to what he says about waiting in Advent. And remember, he's in prison. He's in prison. This is, it says, um, this is a letter to his fiancee, Maria von Watemeyer, from prison, December 13th, 1943. He says this quote Celebrating Advent means being able to wait. Waiting is an art that our impatient age has forgotten. It wants to break open the ripe fruit when it is hardly finished planting the shoot. But all too often the greedy eyes are only deceived. The fruit that seemed so precious is still green on the inside. And disrespectful hands ungratefully toss aside what has so disappointed them. Whoever does not know the blessedness of waiting, that is of hopefully doing without will never experience the full blessing of fulfillment. He says, those who do not know how it feels to struggle anxiously with the deepest questions of life, of their life, and to patiently look forward with anticipation until the truth is revealed, cannot even dream of the splendor of the moment in which clarity is illuminated for them. And for those who do not want to win the friendship and love of another person, who do not expectantly open up their souls to the soul of the other person until friendship and love come, until they make their entrance. For such people, the deepest blessing of the one life of two intertwined souls will remain forever hidden. I hope you go back and read that part because that's about falling in love. You can't fall in love without opening up your heart to another. And if you're not patiently waiting on that to happen then you'll never know that it can he says for the greatest listen to this for the greatest most profound tenderest things in the world we must wait it happens not here in a storm but according to the divine laws of sprouting growing and becoming just think of waiting 9 months to hold that blessed child the tenderest things must be waited for and then he says this to he writes to maria This is my favorite part. He says, Be brave for my sake, dearest Maria, even if this letter is your only token of my love this Christmas. We shall both experience a few dark hours. Why should we disguise that from each other? We shall ponder the incomprehensibility of our lot and be assailed by the question of why, over and above the darkness already enshrouding humanity. We should be subjected to the bitter anguish of a separation whose purpose we fail to understand, and then just when everything is bearing down on us to such an extent that we can scarcely withstand it, the Christmas message comes to tell us that all our ideas are wrong, and that and that what we take to be evil and dark is really good and light, because it comes from God. Our eyes are at fault. That is all. God is in the manger. Wealth in poverty, light in darkness, nourishment in abandonment. No evil can befall us, whatever men may do to us. They cannot but serve God, who is secretly revealed as love and rules all the world in our lives. That's what he writes to his fiance on Advent. You have to learn to wait. You have to learn to wait. We have to learn to wait. Second point, the purpose of hope. So we've looked at the, the patience of hope. Look at the purpose of hope. Look what Paul does next. He says in verses 9 through 12, he says, Therefore, as it is written, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, and he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. So here's what's happening. Paul's purpose here in these verses is to prove that God's word has been given to us so that we can rightly have hope. I know this because he's just said in verse four of chapter fifteen. Look back at chapter four, uh, verse four. Sorry, look at verse four of chapter fifteen. Just look up a few verses. Look at what Paul says there. He says, "Whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope." So what God does is He gives us His Word so that we would live lives of hope. And this hope comes to us through perseverance, patience, and the encouragement of the Scriptures. The purpose of the Scriptures is to give us hope. And that is why Paul proves his thesis with four quotations from the Old Testament about the Messiah. He chooses one from the law, two quotes from the wisdom literature of Psalms, And then he ends with one quote from the prophets in Isaiah. So this means Paul chooses a quote from the three major divisions of the Old Testament. The law, the prophets, and the wisdom literature, or the writings. And so that's what Paul does. Now notice that each quote has to do with God's intentional invitation for the nations, the Gentiles, to join in worship. Because this is God's purpose all along. God is giving the nations hope that they will be included in his grand purpose of bringing salvation to all people and not simply the Jews. And then look at the last quote of verse 12. Look at verse 12. Isaiah promises that the root of Jesse will come. That's how the Gentiles are going to be included. The root of Jesse will come. Notice that it doesn't say the descendant or the heir. That's what you would expect. The descendant of Jesse will come. The heir of Jesse will come. No, no, no. This is the root of Jesse, whose origin is of old, from everlasting, as Isaiah goes on to say. This is the source of Jesse. The Messiah will come. This is the first advent. The Christ will come to rule the nations, and in him the Gentiles will hope. So Jesus, hear me. Jesus is simultaneously, according to the promise of God's Word, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, who is also the hope of the Gentile nations. Now this is why we read lines in the Christmas story like this. If you were to go to Luke 2, the Christmas story, it says this, And the angel said to them, to the shepherds, Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be. Just for the Jews. No, no, no. That's not what it says. No, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the peoples. They will be for all the peoples. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then you skip down to when Jesus is presented in the temple and he goes before Simeon. It says there, and there was in Jerusalem a man whose name was Simeon. He was righteous and devout waiting on the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took up the, the, the child in his arms and blessed God and he said this, now your servant and depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation for you that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples a light for revelation to the gentiles and for glory to your people Israel so all of God's purposes are coming to fruition in Jesus they will all be fulfilled and because of this we can have hope god's word brings us hope So we've seen the patience of hope, the purpose of hope, and then finally look at the power of hope. Look at verse 13. Paul ends with this doxology. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Three very quick things. Notice first that this is God-empowered hope. God-empowered hope. Paul says that God the Father, he calls God the Father, the God of hope here. It is the Father, the God of hope, who has sent his son Jesus so that we would have hope. Jesus is the hope of the nations. And then Paul ends verse 13 by saying the Holy Spirit causes us to abound in hope. So right here, the entire Trinity is at work Providing and producing hope in us. So the gospel isn't simply about the hope of the incarnation of Christ among us. That's what, that's what happened at Christmas. This is God among us, the incarnation. But our hope, is, our hope isn't simply that, but the power of the indwelling Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory, as Paul writes in Galatians. God, through Christ and His Spirit, now indwelling believers... To fill them with hope. All of God is at work producing hope in you. Unconquerable hope. This is God empowered hope. Second, this hope works through faith. This hope only works through faith. Notice what it says there May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. How? By believing, by faith, by trusting. The God of hope fills us with joy and peace by believing, by faith. Our hope, God works in us to produce joy and peace by faith. So faith is the link between the hope of God and our experience of joy and peace. All of those are undeniably linked to Advent. Jesus is the hope of the nations. Jesus is the joy of the nations. Jesus is the one bringing peace to the nations. That's what he tells the shepherds. All of that is in the Christmas story. So this is a hope that works through faith. We experience peace and joy through believing. And third, notice that this is an abounding hope. This is an abounding hope. Abounding means building bigger and bigger. Growing unable to be held down, unable to be squelched, unable to be snuffed out, unable to be quenched. He says at the end of verse 13, all of this happens by believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God, the God of hope, produces joy and peace in us by faith through the Spirit, so that we may abound in hope. The Holy Spirit causes us to abound in hope as we trust in Christ by faith, thus causing joy and peace to grow in the heart of the believer. So think about that. Hope, joy, and peace, all working through faith. This hope abounds, by the way, in all circumstances. This is a hope that cancer can't beat. This is a hope that cannot be snuffed out with our battles and sin. This is a hope that cannot be overcome by the trials and struggles of this world. This is an abounding hope that cannot be shaken. This hope becomes the foundation of our lives in Jesus. And we cling to this hope. And it empowers us to face the future. Knowing that all of God's promises are Sure and true. That is the power of hope. Paul has already said in Romans 8, he says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That hope empowers us to walk through these struggles. So, as I conclude, my question to you this morning is Do you know the hope, joy, and peace of Christ that only comes by placing your faith in his name? Have you repented of your sins and turned to Christ for forgiveness? and reconciliation with the Father. You can do that today. You who came in distant and estranged from God, having your relationship severed by sin, having no hope in this world, today you can experience the hope of forgiveness in Jesus. You can experience the hope of Advent by having Christ come into your life, forgive you of your sins, adopt you into His family, and give you hope of eternal life. W.T. Ellis once said, it is Christmas in the heart that puts Christmas in the air. If you want to celebrate what Christmas is all about, it starts by having Christmas in the heart. And that is Christ living in you, the hope of glory. So this morning, as we have a time of invitation in just a minute, if you don't know Jesus, come and receive Him. Come receive Him by faith so that hope, joy, and peace can abound in your own life irregardless of the circumstances. For the rest of us, each year I ask, I ask you as an individual and as a family, I ask you to, this Advent season, make a commitment to focus on Jesus. Make sure that you focus your life on Jesus. Focus your home on Jesus. Read the Christmas story. Connect traditions and experiences to Jesus. Use our Advent calendar. I also ask you as a church family and as an individual to spend less money. Don't be driven by our culture. Be content in what Christ has given us. Don't embrace uncritically the consumeristic culture of our day. Set a reasonable budget and keep it. Third, spend more time caring for others this season. Look for opportunities to demonstrate the the love of Jesus to your neighbors, to our shut-ins, to lonely people in our community. Serve others. And then invest more in eternity. Invest more in eternity. Be committed to Christ's Christ's mission. Give to Lottie Moon. Make sure that during this Advent season, you care that the hope of the gospel gets to the nations. Whatever God is leading you to do, you do it. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask now that you would speak to our hearts about the hope that comes to us in Jesus. Father, may we learn to patiently wait wherever we are on the hope of Christ. Father, may we learn to find your purposes at work all around us as we find encouragement from your word. And Father, may we also find the power of hope at work in us, abounding in us to produce peace and joy by believing in Jesus. Father, speak now to our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name.